0: What is up, my friends? We are season two, Money with Katie, rocking and rolling on the podcast. I just want to thank you for coming back for season two, for being here. And I'm excited about our episode today because it's a bit of a callback to an episode from season one, all about travel rewards. Highly requested. And before we jump into it, I just want to make the humble request that I always do of you. I get it that, you know, you're, you're probably on a walk with your dog. You're driving somewhere in your car. But when you get a chance, if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review, if you're feeling generous today, that goes a really, really long way in helping other people find this show and in boosting my fragile self esteem. So before we hop into it, let's listen to a message from the sponsor of today's episode capitalize. Capitalize is a service that I found at the end of this year, kind of at the perfect time. I just left a company and had a fairly sizable 401k balance that was just chilling. And because I noticed some crazy fees that were happening in that 401k, I wanted to get it under my roof as quickly as possible. So the reason that I love Capitalize is it makes the process of rolling over a 401k utterly painless, like ridiculously painless. You, you really don't have to do anything. You just tell them, hey, this is where it is. This is about how much is in it. And this is where I want you to put it. Then when it's time for you to have an actual conversation on the phone with your 401k provider, which is my millennial nightmare for the record, they call, wait on hold, set it up for you, and then dial you in when they're ready for you to make the confirmation to the 401k provider that, yes, you in fact want to move it and you're giving them authorization to do so. Capitalize is a completely free service. At first, I was skeptical of that, but they get paid a commission by the some of the brokerage firms that you can transfer your assets to, so it's completely free to you, completely on the up and up. And I highly, highly recommend using them if you need to roll over a 401k. There's just no reason to suffer through the paperwork otherwise. And I will add that now that I've abandoned my backdoor Roth IRA strategy and I'm using a mega backdoor Roth IRA instead, I can have as many rollover IRAs as I want, which means I get all of it under my control, low fees, my you know choices of assets within them, which is amazing. So you can check out Capitalize at the link in my show notes if this sounds like something that you would be interested in. They've got two thumbs up from me, that's for sure. So Capitalize, thank you so much for sponsoring today's episode. Today, I want to talk about how I strategize my spending on the different credit cards that I have. And this is one of those questions that comes up a lot. And frankly, it's a question that I had pretty intensely back when I only had one credit card. And in retrospect, it's funny to me now that it was something that I would get so worked up about that I would not get a credit card or not take up a, you know, Amex on some crazy bonus offer simply because I was hung up on, wait, when am I gonna use this card versus that card, and in retrospect, yes, it was silly, but all that to say, I completely understand that line of thought because I've been there, and I want to take a stab at talking today in this little travel rewards uh, part two, if you will, about how I think about the cards that I have now and which one really maintains that top of wallet position, which is a phrase from the biz. That's what the credit card companies call it. They want their card to be top of wallet, which means that it's the first one that you reach for, kind of makes sense. And so that's why they will add those little bonuses or spending plus ups, whatever you wanna call them, That way you'll reach for their card more often than your others, because they're expecting that you probably have a lot of credit cards, maybe rightfully so or wrongfully so. But let's start with the basics. If you haven't listened to the original Travel Rewards episode of the Money with Katie podcast, I would go back and listen to that first. I can't remember exactly what episode it is. Let me double check really quickly. Okay, it was the second episode of season one, and it's called How to Travel for Free Credit Card Travel Rewards 101. And that really is what it was. It took you through which cards to get, the order to get them in, why I think they're valuable. And for some reason, you know, that information has been on my website for a while, but for some reason in audio form, it seemed to click better for people. So I'm going to stick with that train of thought, that momentum and say, let's do this follow up now. But if you haven't listened to that one yet, I would go back and listen to it. Otherwise, some of this stuff is going to feel maybe a little bit irrelevant to you. As a reminder, I now have six credit cards. I have two credit cards from American Express. I have the platinum card and the gold card. And in case you missed my article about the gold card, I literally got it because it came in pink. I'm not proud of it, but I did it. Then I've got the Chase Sapphire Preferred card, which is their Sapphire product that is less expensive, if you will. I think it's less than hundred dollars per year, as opposed to their reserve product, which is north of 400 or $500. So as a quick aside, because I know that this question will come up, I prefer personally to pair the Chase Sapphire Preferred with the Amex Platinum, meaning the Amex Platinum is my ultra premium credit card as opposed to the Chase Sapphire Preferred. I have written extensively in the past about why this is. If you search platinum on my site, It'll come up with plenty of reviews. I think one is even called why I prefer this card over the Chase Sapphire Reserved. But the Chase Sapphire Preferred does come with a pretty lucrative sign-up bonus, and it's pretty cheap year over year for less than 100 bucks. And it gives you access to the Ultimate Rewards Portal, which is the Chase Portal that, in my mind, is top tier in the credit cards game. Uh, just for general travel purposes. I I think it's the booking.com or the Expedia engine that powers it. So basically, if you can book something on one of those big aggregator sites, you can book it on Ultimate Rewards and you can book it with points. You can do a combination of points and dollars, whatever. So I think at this point... We've been through the two Amex cards, the Chase Sapphire Preferred. I've also got the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless credit card, also a Chase card. Again, a ninety-five dollar annual fee, and I think it's the middle tier Bonvoy card that Marriott offers with Chase. There's a, there's one that has no annual fee that's utterly worthless in my opinion, and then there's a really fancy one that's you know four or five times as expensive that. I just don't think I'd stay in enough hotels to warrant it. Maybe it would be worth it if I was, you know, staying in hotels every other weekend, but it's not me. And then last, I've got the Southwest Rapid Rewards Priority Card. Now that is the top tier Southwest card. And in the initial episode, the 101 that I mentioned earlier, I get into the details of why I picked those specific cards. So I don't wanna spend too much time digging into the details of what made me choose the priority card over the premier card or the boundless over the bold. That's all in 101. Today, I wanna talk about (laughs) why I have so many and how I can feasibly think about spending on them and just kind of how I make those purchasing decisions. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit that it's probably a lot less intense and sophisticated a system than you would probably expect from me, given my propensity for spreadsheets and optimization. But honestly, I just find there's a level of diminishing returns with this stuff that unless you're spending like a lot of money, it almost not that it doesn't matter, it does matter, but you're just going to get a decreasing amount of bang for your buck effort-wise. So all that to say, I don't have some fancy system that determines what I you know, what, which cards I use when. It's, it's more so just general rules of thumb that I want to talk about. And I think the good news is that you can apply this kind of across the board, even if you've got a Hyatt card instead of a Marriott card, or you've got the American Airlines card instead of the Southwest. In general, these little rules of thumb are going to hold up, right? And it's not just me and my family that has these cards. My husband, Thomas, has I think all of the cards that I do, except for the Southwest card and the Amex Gold, he's got the Chase Sapphire Preferred, the Platinum, the Marriott Bonvoy. Yeah, so he's got most of the same ones that, that I do too. So that can also confuse people. It's like, okay, wait, why would two people in the same couple get the same credit card and there's a very good reason why it has to do with putting this whole travel rewards game in two-player mode i've written about that too and the the couples breakdown and how you can really supercharge things but in any case for starters One of the first questions that I had about travel rewards when I dove into this game and one of the questions that I get the most is whether or not having a bunch of credit cards hurts your credit score. And I do go into more detail about this in 101, but just to put your mind at ease in case you forgot, the short answer is no. Applying for a bunch of new credit all at once will raise some red flags with the bureaus. So I would just recommend spacing out your applications by 90 days each. That's my rule of thumb. So on the off chance that you're listening to this and you already have every single one of these cards and you're not really in the market for a new one just yet, that may not be that applicable to you, but I would venture a guess that most of the folks listening to this episode probably will only have a couple, a handful of the ones that I've mentioned, or maybe an entirely different suite of credit cards altogether. And, and maybe you're just trying to get comfortable with hey, like execution wise, what is this going to look like in my life when I or if I acquire a bunch of new cards? So the reason that that is is because the credit bureaus basically just see you as like a black and white entity. So if you're doing things that look sketchy or could be perceived as sketchy, like trying to get a whole bunch of new credit all at once, that'll lower your, lower your score. But if you have a lot of credit available to you and you're only using a small amount of it, that makes you look like an adult ass adult. It's like, oh, this person is has all this money available to them. They could spend tens of thousands of dollars on these credit cards and they're only utilizing $800 or $2000 of their credit limit. So, that's kind of the grand irony of all of this is the act of getting all of the credit at first can give you some temporary dings, but once you actually have it, it's very helpful. Okay. So, the other elephant in the room that I want to address is that I get the sense and this is again, I also assumed this. So, it's this is there's definitely no shade in this comment, but I get the sense that A lot of people believe that their spending and properly strategizing their spending across their different credit cards will result in a measurably different outcome points wise or that there's some secret or some hack. And realistically, unless you are spending a lot of money, like over a hundred thousand dollars a year in spending. And maybe you have that. I don't know. Obviously this is all relative, but you are not gonna be able to take free vacations just by getting one travel rewards card and putting your three thousand dollars a month spend on it. Sure, you'll accrue three thousand points a month over the years and eventually you'll be able to use those points to take a free trip or maybe you'll use them to discount your travel, but typically the number one boost that you get from the card is that initial acquisition. That's typically when you're going to get the biggest bonus. The sign-up bonus is usually the highest amount that you're going to get at one time. Because think about it, if you get a 100,000 point bonus from Chase and then you try to earn another 100,000 points, if you're just earning those points through regular spend, even if you're using the like, oh, earn an additional five points per dollar or an additional three points per dollar on this category or that category, or you're using those Chrome plugins that will multiply your point differential. you're still going to have to spend a lot of money to get there. I mean, think about it. $50,000, even at two points per dollar, which is good for for normal purchases, you'd have to spend 50G to to get 100,000 points. And that's not out of the question. If you are spending on one singular card for an entire family, you probably easily spend $50,000 in a year. But the point is you're probably wanting to take free trips more than just once a year i'm sure you didn't acquire six different credit cards because you wanted to take one short vacation every 24 months right so that's where the weird balance of travel rewards comes into play of you gotta be consistently thinking about new cards that you can be acquiring to get new sign up bonuses and if there are other shortcuts that you can take to get more points aside from just relying on your spending. Because for a single person with no kids that's living relatively reasonably, you might be spending forty dollars to $50,000 a year on a credit card, maybe less. Actually, in fact, it's almost definitely less, especially if you've got more than one. And that's just a slow burn. So the best way to earn a lot of points quickly, aside from the welcome bonuses, is to refer other people. And you do not have to be a clout-hungry personal finance blogger like me to get those referrals. So before Money With Katie existed, I still maxed out my referrals for my cards every year because I would shamelessly talk about them on the boomer hotspot social media platform Facebook <laughs> I would post a picture of some dope vacation I was on and you know I'd likely be there for free because of points and then I would post my referral link and say like hey I got this credit card and used the sign up bonus to book this free trip to an all inclusive resort and if you've got 3000 friends on Facebook it's really not that hard to get a couple of them to apply for the card and again remember this was this was something that I was doing before I was a personal finance blogger. So now I post my own referral links on the site and I'm able to max them out pretty early in the year. But my point is that you don't have to be a blogger to be able to max them out. It's, it's only five referrals per year that you're even allowed. So average it one every two months that you, you're getting somebody to sign up for the card. and. I know that it sounds like an MLM, but this is actually good for people because think about it. If you are getting a free vacation out of that sign-up bonus, somebody else is too. And yes, we're not going to play this out to the nth degree of like, yes, but eventually doesn't this mean if everybody did this, that eventually everybody would have that credit card? My brain hurts thinking about that. We don't need to go there. It's not that serious. I'm just floating the idea out there that if you've got a Facebook account and some boomers who like free travel, posting your referral link into the ether is probably not the worst idea. So moving on to the meat and potatoes here, how I actually structure my ongoing spending across all these different carts. So my strategy is relatively simple. I think it becomes more complicated if you've got 20 credit cards, which actually I do have some friends that do and they literally keep most of them in a drawer if that tells you anything about the real hardcore travel card hacking churning world where people will literally get dozens of them and stop using them after they get the sign up bonus and then either cancel them or downgrade them. And this is pretty common, but I think about my spending in a few different categories. So the first category would be food spending. This is the thing that I think elicits the most transactions on a month to month basis. If you think about grocery stores, restaurants, coffee shops, the meal service that I pay for. I mean, I spend a lot of money on food. And and even though it's not very much maybe compared to like my rent or my housing spend, it's a, it's almost consistently the second largest category in my budget. So I think about my food spend as one distinct category. And I used to put all of that spend on my Chase Sapphire Preferred card because that was the card that, I kind of considered my top of wallet card. Um, I knew that I only got two times points on dining and one point per dollar on everything else, but because Chase Ultimate Rewards points are the most valuable points you can get, mostly because they're you know they're the simplest to use, they're flexible enough to be transferred around, and the you know one Ultimate Reward point is just worth more. In its transfer value and in its value in the portal, than one membership reward point, the, the Amex currency, you know, or one rapid rewards point, the Southwest currency. So that's that's kind of one little nugget that I would wrap your mind around for these purposes, is that all points are not created equal. That's why you see vastly different sign-up bonuses for some cards the Hilton card, notoriously Hilton points are basically completely devalued. They'll give you 200,000 points just for getting the credit card. And the credit card is no annual fee or a very low annual fee. And you see that when you go to try to book a Hilton room, you got to use a lot of points to get a room. You know, it's, 150,000 points or $200, like like, uh, comparisons that don't feel right if you're used to the rest of the travel rewards world where it's not as obvious that the points are variably valuable. So That was a tangent, but these ultimate rewards points, these chase points, these points are daddy. So I was using that Sapphire card for pretty much everything just because I wanted the bulk of my spending to be generating ultimate rewards points. I knew that those could become a Bonvoy booking or a Rapid Rewards, you know, Southwest booking by transferring them or by booking directly in the portal So it didn't really make sense for me to get one point per dollar on a Southwest card or one point per dollar on a Bonvoy card. That dollar goes a different length depending on which card you're gonna use. So I would think about all my general purchases, you know, as Sapphire purchases most of the time. However, with the food category in mind specifically, I felt a little bit differently after I got the Amex Gold Card. The Amex Gold Card gives you four points per dollar on food spending. That's grocery stores, dining out. It's like in a just agnostic food category, you get four points per dollar with Amex. And while our Ultimate Rewards points are valuable, they're not four times as valuable as Membership Rewards points. So I have tweaked my strategy a little bit and I now put most of my spending, which is primarily food spending on that Amex gold card because I get four times membership rewards points on every dollar that I spend. So that's one consideration. There's another category that I wanna talk about now that is kind of the polar opposite of food and that is Expensive purchases that are worth insuring. So if I'm buying something expensive, I put it on the platinum card. And that might seem a little bit counterintuitive because you're like, wait a second, you know, you just told us that ultimate rewards points are so valuable, that these chase points are so valuable. So why aren't you putting the purchases that are big and are going to elicit, you know, a, a lot of points on this chase sapphire preferred card? Well, frankly, because the Platinum card gives me peace of mind. The Platinum card has a really, really strong uh, additional 90-day warranty that you get when you buy something expensive and they will reimburse you up to $1,000 per claim if something that you buy with your Platinum card is damaged or stolen within 90 days. So I like to give myself that additional little warranty. I wouldn't purchase an extended warranty, but that's the cool thing about the platinum card. It's just by using that card, you're going to get a little warranty up to $1,000 per claim added. The other reason, or rather the other category that I like to use the platinum card for is travel purchases. The Amex points bonus for travel purchases is the best. It's five times points per dollar spent. And it doesn't matter which vendor you use. If you're buying from Marriott or Hilton or United Airlines, anything that codes as travel that you purchase on your platinum card is gonna generate five times points per dollar. So if you spend $1,000 on a flight that's international, you'll get 5,000 points. That's a pretty good way to quickly accumulate points. The other thing that I think about with the platinum card and purchasing travel within the membership rewards portal specifically is that funnily enough, you can use points in the portal to book something, but because of the way it codes, I'm pretty positive that you, you earn points on the booking even though you're booking it in points. So in my past experience, and I'm not sure if this is replicable, so I'm not going to guarantee that this is how it works. But this has been my experience. If I book something in Amex Travel Portal, the Membership Rewards Portal, and I use points to book it, it initially will book it in dollars. It'll, you know, say, okay, $500 that you're going to spend 50,000 points on. Cool. We're gonna we're gonna deduct $500 from your put a hold for $500 on your card. But then we're going to reimburse it and use 50,000 of your points. What I've seen happen, interestingly enough, is that, you know, in one instance, it was Bonvoy where I did a Bonvoy booking within the the membership rewards portal uh, using Amex points. And I earned Bonvoy points on the purchase, despite the fact that I used Amex points to book it. I think it's because Bonvoy just sees the the dollar value purchase. They're, just, they're not seeing that you're getting reimbursed by Amex because they're using your points for it. They're just seeing the dollar value of the booking. So I think that's a pretty cool perk of booking within the membership rewards portal. There are other things too, and I, I mentioned those in the 101 episode, but I just wanted to note that, that there are some other benefits to, to booking in there besides the five times points. And to be clear, you don't have to book your Amex travel in the membership rewards portal to earn five times points. Any travel vendor will trigger that five times points, but you can kind of double dip in some cases if you're booking in the Amex portal. Okay, so by now you're probably like, all right, well, okay, I'm hearing some things. I'm hearing Amex Gold is for food, Amex Platinum is for travel. I would say generally speaking, my the the rest of my purchases think amazon purchases online shopping work stuff that's all going on the chase sapphire preferred because again i like those ultimate rewards points and i want to be generating more of them where i can but i just can't justify you know getting one to two times points on ultimate rewards if there's a purchase that'll generate four to five times amex points because like i said the ultimate rewards points are worth more but they're not worth that much more You've also probably noticed that I'm not really putting any spend on the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless card or the Southwest Rapid Awards priority card. And every once in a while, I'll get an email, and you will too, uh, about one of the cards offering some crazy bonus. Like during the pandemic, for example, you could get 12 times points on gas stations or groceries. 12 times points. And in those instances, all right, sure, yeah, I'm gonna use the card, but normally it's not really worth it to put ongoing spend on those cards because you're just never, your dollar is never going to go further on a Bonvoy or, you know, ultimate, I'm sorry, a a Southwest card, unless there is a crazy bonus, then it would go on the Chase Sapphire Preferred or the Amex Platinum or Amex Gold. Like those, those cards are just too hard to beat. And so it's, it's not a, it's not me knocking the Bonvoy card and the priority card, because as you'll hear in a moment, uh, I have them for a different reason, but they're just, they're, it's really hard to make it make sense. Even booking a Southwest flight or a Bonvoy room, you're gonna get better value from putting that on platinum. But I do keep these cards. I still think they're more than worth the money, and that's because of their ongoing rewards. So, Initially, I got both of these cards for the sign-up bonus, but I was able to justify keeping them because of the ongoing rewards. So the Bonvoy card gets you one free night certificate every year. Last I checked, it's 35,000 points. So I used mine this year on a room that would have cost me $300. So that's a steal when you consider that I pay $95 for the annual fee And, you know, if I stay even one night at a Marriott property per year, that card is paying for itself because it's allowing me to get a $300 hotel room for free. Um, The priority card, the Southwest card, will give you 7,000 anniversary points four upgraded boardings that are worth $40 a piece and a $75 annual travel credit. So I would consider this one also well worth the annual $149 fee. Again, that's if you're flying Southwest, it makes sense. If you can't fly Southwest or you know they don't serve an airport near you, you probably wanna check out the United card. That would be like my second tier choice there. But all that to say, you're gonna get your money's worth and then some I wouldn't keep these cards if I didn't. And at the end of the day, I think it's the value that you're going to get from the signup bonuses in these cases, especially with like Southwest companion pass. If you can structure your Southwest credit card acquisitions so that it gets you companion pass, they'll the, the first year of value that you're going to get is going to pay you 10 years worth of annual fees. So I think it's just a risk benefit analysis you have to do for yourself. And I think at at some point, like, you know, in conclusion, you may notice that, hey, my strategy is really simple because I don't really spend enough money every year to warrant a super fancy point strategy. You know, I have friends who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, either because they're, you know, expensing it all for business travel or they're just really wealthy And they really double down on the specificity with which they split up their spending across all their cards. They'll have credit cards specifically for points rewards on like Amazon purchases alone because they're spending tens of thousands, you know, maybe more than that of dollars per year on Amazon every year. So like it makes sense for them to optimize to get 5% back on Amazon or whatever the Amazon card gives you. But You know, I probably spend around $30,000 per year because the rest of my budget is allocated toward rent, which I don't pay with a credit card. Um, And that generates between one and two points per dollar, maybe four, maybe five. But, you know, even if my spending alone only generated 30 to 50,000 points, that is still worth the annual fee, even without referrals. And I'm I'm really just too, I'm not frugal really anymore. I've definitely used to be, but I don't think I spend enough money for spending strategies beyond this level of sophistication to really matter. Again, it's this idea of diminishing returns. It makes sense to think about it to some degree, but to get overly in the weeds, you're not gonna see that big of a payoff unless you're spending a ton of money. So instead, I try to focus on getting cards that have excellent ongoing rewards, regardless of how many points I earn. So Platinum, Bonvoy Boundless, Rapid Rewards Priority, all of these cards give you more in credits and bonuses than you pay in annual fees. Again, that's the Platinum card, the Bonvoy Boundless, and the Rapid Rewards Priority card. All of those cards will give you more in credits every year than you will pay in annual fees. In my mind, that kind of makes them a no-brainer. The only caveat worth mentioning there is that unfortunately with having so many, <laughs> do you hear me sighing? I'm like, oh, my life is so hard. Unfortunately, with having that many credit cards that have that many different bonuses, I will find candidly that sometimes I forget about them. So I am working on a system to try to make sure I don't inadvertently forget to use a travel credit here or there and to make sure that I'm really applying them where I can because otherwise then they really aren't worth anything to you if you're not gonna use the credits and, Some of these credits, all the annual credits are gonna expire every year. So it's really worth it to use them while you still can and to keep tabs on them, whether that's in a spreadsheet or whether that's just like a note to yourself that you keep, or maybe you have like check boxes every year that reset, but you wanna just make sure that you're using the credits you're paying for. Um, And I think putting the majority of my spending on the, you know, Amex Gold for food, and then Sapphire Preferred for everything else, that really enables me to, to get the most bang for my buck without having to, you know, take it to this like crazy intense level, because I know I'm getting four times points on the food, and I know that my Sapphire Preferred card is giving me access to those ultimate rewards points that are very valuable and then finally i would focus on referring friends and family to the cards so that they can travel for free too again i know it sounds kind of pyramid schemey but i would i would push back on that and just say it's only a pyramid scheme if the person that you're referring is going to be worse off because of it and think about it someone else is getting 100,000 free points too or paying 95 bucks for free points that's a pretty good trade off especially if those 100,000 points can give them a vacation that's worth 2 grand i don't think they're going to be upset with you because of that especially because there is an escape chute that is risk and cost free you can always downgrade a card if you find that hey i'm you know i'm not using this or like i don't want to pay this annual fee anymore i don't think this one is valuable to me you can always call and downgrade to a free no annual fee version of it or worst case scenario, if you have to cancel one, it's not the end of the world. I just wouldn't recommend doing that before you're about to apply for a loan. But if you're not about to buy a house or a car, canceling a credit card every once in a while, it's it's not gonna kill you. It's also really not gonna do that much damage to your credit score, as long as you're not making a churning habit out of it where you're consistently getting new cards and then canceling them. That type of turnover is gonna raise red flags and can hurt you long-term, but If you've got six cards and you decide in two years from now that one of them isn't working out, don't stress about that. That's not the end of the world. Okay, so there you have it. That is my strategy for spending on my different travel credit cards. Again, I'm not perfect. I haven't perfected it, and I apologize if you were expecting the most optimized path forward. But I would say take some comfort in the fact that this is something that you don't have to optimize to the nth degree to get a shit ton of value out of it. You don't have to have a sophisticated, you know, intense Google Sheets driven Plan to be able to travel mostly for free and to get a lot of points for your spending. And as long as you're spending on a credit card in general and not a debit card or paying in cash, you're getting something for your spending. It just comes down to how optimized do you want to be? How much extra value do you want to squeeze out of every dollar that you spend? And I'm sure it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. This whole travel rewards points game kind of, you lose the point, you lose the forest or the trees if you start spending money that you would not ordinarily be spending just to get points. At that point, it's self-defeating. I would never recommend that. But as always, in the Money with Katie community, we want to find ways to get a little bit more out of life and to think a little bit differently about how we can approach things and travel rewards is one of those things that I think people are super skeptical about because it candidly just sounds too good to be true but with five percent effort extra effort and energy and deciding hey I'm, I'm going to the grocery store so I'm going to use the gold card or hey I'm I'm you know buying something expensive so I'm going to use platinum or I'm buying travel so I'm going to use platinum or I'm on Amazon so I'm going to use sapphire like These are not decisions that require that much extra brain power or energy on your part, but over time, you're going to accumulate tens of thousands, eventually hundreds of thousands of points, and those points have a real, very real monetary value to you. And I genuinely think that once you get started, it's kind of obvious, like, oh, this isn't that hard. And that's really the takeaway that I want you to have. I think a lot of people get intimidated by credit card rewards or think that you have to have some crazy sophisticated strategy to make it work, and you just don't. So if you're listening to this because you still consider yourself like a little bit of a beginner or you're really trying to get your feet wet a little bit more, I would sign up for the Travel Rewards 101 free mini course that I have. It really just gives you this nice steady drip of content over time. You'll also, you'll get directed in the mini course to listen to the first podcast episode. So hey, kill two birds with one stone. If you haven't done that yet, just sign up for the free you know, Travel Rewards 101 mini course, and I can't remember exactly how many emails it is, but it's every day or two, it's going to send you a different article and a different resource and kind of expound on it and and give them to you in a logical way so that you're building on the knowledge that you already have. But the hope is that by the end of it, after the six emails or seven emails, whatever it is, that you have a really clear path to move forward and you feel comfortable and know which credit cards are, you know, the best for you and when to apply for them and how to use them. So I'll put the sign up in the show notes. Again, it's completely free. It's just a little email series I put together because I found that people were having a hard time kind of identifying how to make sense of all the content on my site because there's a lot of it. So If you need a little curated experience, that will be perfect for you. All right, y'all. (sighs) Ha! <sighs> and that takes breath. That is how I strategize my spending. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just email podcast at moneywithkatie.com. I would be happy to hear them. And that goes for show ideas, questions about travel rewards. If you're just like, bitch, you need to get a more expensive microphone because we can't hear you. That's fair too. Or like, hey, you're talking too loud. I'll take anything. Podcast at moneywithkatie.com And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling really nice and sign up for the Travel Awards 101 free mini course. All right, y'all, that's it. I will see you next time.